It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, October the 29th. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. You can check me out all the time at our business partners, MetsmerizedOnline.com. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You can leave me a review on iTunes. That'd be awesome. I know that's a big deal these days. So, anyway, hope everybody's doing well. I know that uh, it wasn't too long ago after these long stretches where podcast and nothing. Now there's a lot to talk about. The off season tends to produce that. It would be nice with Game Five of the World Series tonight to be talking about a World Series bound Mets team, but that is not the case. And uh, we're talking about 2018 and the first step in rebuilding the New York Mets was the new manager, Mickey Calloway. You heard from the Athletics, T.J. Zuppi, who is out in Cleveland, and his perspective and take on uh, Calloway, having covered him with the Indians over the last four or five years. And today you're going to hear from our friend over at the New York Post, sports reporter of the New York Post, Zach Brazilier, at NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E, if you want to check it out. Zach does a ton of college hoops. He also has covered the Mets throughout the summer as kind of a fill-in secondary. So he does all sports, primarily college basketball, but does a ton of baseball as well. And uh, Zach is very active on Twitter. So he'll come on. And uh, Zach wrote a really good piece back on October 25th, earlier this week. Uh, Dived into Mickey Calloway, had a chance to talk to his father, some of his teammates, uh, David DeLucci, who Yankees fans may remember, spent some time here. His his teammates down in... uh, the minor leagues, really dove into who Mickey Calloway is. And uh, now that we've heard from T.J. Zuppi about Calloway out in Cleveland, let's hear from somebody uh, what their first impression was of Mickey Calloway, which everything has been positive. But that's where I'll start because what came to mind this week, just a day or so after Calloway's press conference, was what could have been. And if you remember... I said the interesting thing about Mickey Calloway and the hire by Sandy Alderson back in the podcast on Monday, Tuesday, whenever I had that podcast, I believe it was Tuesday or Monday, was back in 2010 when they hired Terry Collins, the need to have a new young manager to grow with a developing situation, a team that was in transition that was developing and growing into a contender, something that would take three, four years, maybe longer that was the time to do that kind of move. And they went with Terry Collins, who was a bit of a retread. And in some cases, maybe he fit because of his narrative about how he was in Anaheim and and what happened there and how he failed in Japan and how he had not managed well in the big leagues in more than a decade. He was familiar with the team from the minor league system and what have you. But Terry Collins was more of what you would expect from a team that wanted someone to come in, give a jolt of energy, and be more of a short-term solution. They went with Terry and he wound up lasting seven years. This time they went with what you would have expected back in 2010 with the new unknown uh, manager with potential. But as we've seen, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Ryan Sandberg was supposed to be the next great manager, and he fizzled out. Same thing with Matt Williams. Uh, same thing uh, with a guy like Brad Ausmus. Seems like there's been issues with him. A.J. Hinch had issues in his first stint uh, with, uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks before he came and got the job with with the Houston Astros. So there's always that chance that this turns out bad. And right now the Mets have to be right because their window of opportunity is closing. So when Joe Girardi was let go or not renewed by the New York Yankees, you have to admit, tweeted out, should the Mets have waited for Girardi? And most of the fans said no. And some of them were snarky and they – talked about price tag, Girardi making 4 or $5 million a year, and the Mets not wanting to go that route. 
but most felt that Callaway was the right choice. And to this point, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if they went with Manny Acta, you know, even to a certain degree, Kevin Long, I think it would have probably maybe garnered a different reaction. But you have to wonder, because there were reports earlier in the month that if the Yankees had lost, and this is what would have been interesting, the Yankees had lost to the Indians, and the Indians were still playing now, maybe. Maybe they beat Houston. Who knows? Girardi would have been available earlier. You would have thought the Yankees would have made the decision earlier. Maybe the Yankees are in in competition for a guy like Callaway, uh, who may still be employed, so who knows how that would have went out. This whole thing could have went different. Now, there is no indication that Girardi wants to manage. The Nationals hired their manager earlier today in Dave Martinez. Uh, there was no indication that, that Girardi was a, a candidate there. I think the, the offers are certainly... Uh, unless there's going to be changes by one of these World Series teams, which I doubt. I don't know if he'll be able to manage. Maybe he takes a year off, and maybe that's what he wants. But it would have been very interesting to see if the Mets would have went after Girardi, who, admittedly, if you read some of the articles, has faults. He's very intense. Maybe he's a burnout guy. He falls more into the Buck Showalter mode than maybe the Joe Torre mode in terms of how he manages the team and how intense he is. And certainly that's what this team needed when they went from very laissez-faire, maybe worn-out Joe Torre in 2007 to Girardi in 08, And they won a championship with him in 09 with a huge free agent haul. But in order, but let's face it, be fair to Joe. He was able to accomplish what was expected of him, which is not always easy in the Bronx. And then he went through the transition when they were going away from the Posada and Jeter Yankees. Not an easy task to, to manage that, especially the fact that those guys didn't make it easy because they never wanted to be second banana. They wanted to be treated as who they were on the way out when they weren't the same players. And they had that period where they made the wild card one year, but then they didn't make the playoffs for a couple of years. And they really, there was no energy around the Yankees, even though they were rebuilding, not in the sense of a 90 loss season. Nobody really expected much. They were for a team with their payroll. They were about as close to being, bad and boring as you can be because there was nothing there there was they were they were in purgatory and now they have this new group this young group which i still have my doubts about how good some of these guys will be because who knows they had really good seasons maybe they were over indexed the league has to figure out some things and the league will in the age of video and, and statistics and advanced scouting the league will figure out aaron judge and aaron judge is gonna have to figure the league out his second time around same goes for Severino or anybody else that the Yankees have. Not to say that they're going to be a bad team, but let's see. Let's not crown them the champions just yet. The, the report came that Joe Girardi was burnt out. This team got by him, and they're young, and they're different, and you figured they just really scratched the surface. Joe has had different iterations of the Yankees. It's not like he had the core five from when they were brought up till 2007 like Torrey, where you could say, well, these guys are just, they need another voice. Judge is just hearing some of this for the first time. And Joel Sherman basically said the modern manager, and this is going to be so hard to get when you talk about you talk about how you want to find the perfect manager. Maybe this is the perfect manager for the Yankees, but I think it makes sense for any organization, the Mets, anybody. You want someone who has the attention to detail and maybe to a certain degree the intensity of a Buck Showwater. You want someone who has the ability to handle the media and handle the person and make a team feel good about themselves, especially in the face of intense pressure and controversy like a Joe Torre. And then you want someone who has the analytical or maybe the uh, ability to be, although he's old school, maybe new school when it comes to managing a ball club from the X's and O's perspective, which I know that maybe Yankee fans, if they listen to this, would laugh and say, well, well why do I want Joe Torre, uh, Joe Girardi? Uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not great at managing the bullpen or he overmanages, but you want kind of to take that chemistry experiment into one, to a laboratory and, and come out with the right manager. And, and I don't know if that's Mickey Calloway. I don't know if that's going to be if the Yankees hire Tim Nairing or Josh Paul or what have you, but that's a tough combination to find. And I find intensity, and maybe Joe is a burnout guy, but I find that's what this team needs. Now, maybe Mickey Calloway has that, and he's more of a people person, and he's more of a, intense guy in the right way, not the way that Joe is. And certainly Joe, and I've been guilty of this, especially when I covered both Mets and Yankees in an ESPN radio format, of saying that Joe should have been fired a couple of times. Joe did some things where Joe 
had some instances where teams were ready to implode, where you could have made the argument that he was the wrong guy for the job. But he survived, and, and, and he got these teams to, in a lot of ways, maybe be an overachieving team in some cases based on where they were. They had talent, but the Yankees had, even after 2009, some flaws when it came to the starting pitching, uh, the bridge to Rivera, you know, the way the offense was a bully offense. It was maybe feast or famine. The Yankees have, were just starting to realize, Brian Cashman, that they had to be different. So Girardi, I think, got the most out of what he was given. And he was given a lot. I understand that. But just because you spend $200 million, some of that money was in players like A-Rod, like Sabathia, guys that were starting to break down as you got deeper into his tenure with the Yankees. So the point is, would he have been a better choice for this Mets team, a guy to come in, has the Yankees pedigree, would have tweaked the team across town. Yes, he would have been not so great with the media, and he's not warm and fuzzy, but he would have been new to this group. And this group has to understand that you know, they're not a five, six, seven, eight-year window. You, know, you don't know. They have a two- or three-year window. And now the National League East has upheaval where Dusty Baker and what's going on in Washington. Uh, the Braves seem to be having some issues. The Marlins have a, a totally different ownership group that's looking to tear it down again. Who knows where the Phillies are in their development curve? You just don't know when it comes to prospects and the promise of prospects. So the Mets have an opportunity to take this division, get themselves into the tournament, and what they're pitching, be as much of a contender as any other team with the right moves. But you need the right manager, and Mickey Callaway is as much of an unknown as anybody else that they would have brought in. Girardi is a known, questioning this decision. And I'm not saying that I'm upset with Callaway and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just thinking, what if all I'm doing here is if I was going to the grocery store or Best Buy or any of these stores and buying a TV or making a big purchase and I made the purchase. And then I found out after I walked out and got into my car and got home that a sale tomorrow starts on something that I was thinking about, but it wasn't available at the time. You always wonder what if I waited one more day because there, there really wasn't a need for the Mets to hire Right away, a manager, I understand Callaway was a guy that made an impression, and they probably were afraid that a team like the Phillies or, geez, if the Nationals had an opportunity, if they hadn't hired him, maybe they would have brought him in for an interview. And he's well-regarded and well-respected. But you wonder if they just waited another 24 to 48 hours to see what went on with the Yankees, if how, how serious they are with Girardi. Now, maybe they know that Girardi doesn't want to manage, and maybe Girardi, if he does take another managerial job, he doesn't want to do it in this market. Because he's been here so long. But it is an interesting what if. And it's a what if I'm sure that if you're listening and you're driving or you're working out or you're just hanging out listening to this podcast, I got to think at some point you had that what if as well. Let's take a quick break. Let's get Zach Brazilier on from the New York Post. We'll ask him about this. We'll have his take on Mickey Calloway. And maybe get a little bit into some names that he's thinking about. I've thrown some names out over the last couple of weeks and names I'm starting to think about for the offseason. All right, Dickey, Eric Hosmer. Let's see if uh, Zach has any players that are potential free agents that he may be interested in the Mets pursuing. So we'll take a quick break. Of course, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Zach Brasilia of the New York Post right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and uh, joining us from the New York Post, sports reporter for the New York Post, uh, Zach Brasilia, and uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at NYPost. 
underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. And uh, although he covers a lot of college basketball, he had a chance to catch up with uh, not only Mickey Calloway's uh, former teammates, his, uh, his family. Had a great piece in the Post earlier this week. And, uh, Zach, uh, thanks for coming on. Rainy uh, Sunday. Uh, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Not bad. So, love at first sight. Is that uh, a good way for the media to <laughs> talk about Mickey Calloway? I guess you never get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression. Is that the way to, to put it? Yeah, I mean, he's... You know he's a he's a very, seems like a very um, down to earth, uh, very charismatic, uh, people friendly person. Um, you know I, I talked to a, I talked to a, a lot of people uh, from his you know younger life, talked to teammates, coaches, uh, his dad, his brother, high school teammate, college teammate, coaches, and you know he just seems like uh, one of those guys everyone loves. You know he's a he's a hard worker. He'll you know he he'll he'll get on someone if it has to happen. But um, he's one of those guys who just loves you know loves life and is, is optimistic and positive and just always believes good things will happen because he makes it happen. Um, you know he's you know the, the the press conference. You know I I it wasn't necessarily he won the press conference. He didn't make any crazy statements or. You know stuff like that. He just was a you know very uh, very positive, down to earth kind of guy. Like I said, when you go into pieces like this where you examine uh, an individual's background, and you you went all the way back to the minor leagues, uh, you talked to his father. Uh, you're going deep into a player. That, uh, let's face it, he's not Matt Williams. He's not Ryan Sandberg. He didn't have that kind of resume. Uh, many. Mets fans, many baseball fans probably never heard of him unless you're a Cleveland Indians fan. Uh, Nobody remembered him playing. I didn't, uh, even though he had a cup of coffee and even won a championship uh, in the American League with the Angels. Did you find anything out that surprised you or that you weren't expecting? Or did you take something away from your piece where you're like, hey, you know, I didn't expect that. That, That's that's something that uh, came out of left field or something that was your big overall aha moment, for lack of a better word? Um, the big surprise to me was just, uh, I didn't realize, I, I knew he was a very good pitching coach. Um, I didn't realize how fast he, uh, he's kind of, he's kind of moved up the ranks. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, basically, you know, more or less in a decade, or he's gone from a single A coach to a major league manager. It's not supposed to happen that fast. Um, you know, that, that to me was the biggest thing. I mean, he's obviously, he seemed like an absolute great guy. You know, he was the Mr. You know, the, the, the Mr. All-American in high school. He was a great basketball player, great baseball player. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it's just how fast he's moved up. You know, he, um, you know, he gets the job with the Indians as a single coach and quickly becomes a minor league pitching instructor and then the pitching coach. And now he gets highlighted at Mets. And, you know, I think it's just the fact that what, what impressed me the most is just how, you know, this is a guy who is probably light on experience at all these interviews, and he just impresses people so much by his confidence and his intelligence and and his positivity that he wins people over so fast. And I think you're going to, you know, based on that, I think you're going to see that with the Mets clubhouse, that he's players are going to love him um, because, you know, he, if you're able to convince these people of to hire you for these jobs, he's got to have, he's got to be, his personality seems like it's off the charts. Uh, and that to me is really what, what stands out is you don't move up to him. You don't move up as fast as you do by accident. You know, he, he, he beat out some people who probably had better resumes and more experience just because of how, how sharp he is as a person. And that to me is, is really what, what stands out. Right, and baseball—it's not even just about that. It's about the old, you know, the good old buddy system. And when you break through that, which seems like he did, that—that uh, that says a lot. You mentioned winning over the Mets clubhouse. I know Mark Carrig in a competing newspaper had an article in the Newsday about how bad things had gotten at the end of uh, the year. Uh, that was uh, reiterated on Twitter, uh, and and even with—and I think a lot of it stemmed from Sandy Alderson even talking about how challenging things were. Now, look, I've never been a Terry Collins fan, you know that, but. I am kind of surprised. I mean, one of the things that many have alluded to is that 
one of the veterans said it was one of the worst clubhouses they'd ever been in. And, and you know, as much as I think Terry's wasn't any good, I'm surprised things got so bad. Now, I know college hoops is your primary focus, but I think you covered a little bit of the Mets throughout the summer over at the Post on specific days. Uh, are you surprised about how many things have come out and how important the communication and, I guess, bridging some kind of gap that these players had with the manager's office and, and understanding what was going on within the organization. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with the Mets this summer. Um, you know, um, I'm a little surprised and, and I'm not. You know, I I think when, when, when stuff goes sideways, when a, when a season spirals out of control, I think, this, I think that happens. Um, I think the big issue with the Mets clubhouse, I think, is – when you when you when you have veterans like like Randerson and, and Bruce and, and Reed and you know do that these guys left I think it created issues where you had these younger guys who you know quite frankly I think it was pretty clear were passed over for playing time by the manager because he trusted his veterans it, it was pretty obvious he you know throughout his tenure that young players like had to prove themselves two times over. To, to get opportunities over veterans, and so I, you know, so I think that was I think that was definitely an issue with, with the managers when, when these veterans are gone. You know, you're playing out the string, and you're still giving guys like Reyes and, and Cabrera time over young guys that you should probably want to see. Um, obviously, Gavin Sacchini is is you know at the top of the list. I remember talking to him um, in I think it was August. Um, and I was stunned by just his reaction, where he basically said, "I have no idea what where I stand with his organization," because um, he wasn't playing. He was up. He was up. He wasn't playing at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I also think it's natural when you have a team that had high expectations and thing falls apart, and then you have guys traded that the clubhouse will will fracture. Um, I don't think that was a confident Terry Collins. I you know I frequently spent. A ton, ton of my time in the summer with with the New York teams, especially the Mets, um, you know, and I didn't notice though, unless they hit it well. I didn't notice, you know, like guys hitting each other. I, I don't think that was it. I think it was a lot of young guys who maybe were a little annoyed with the manager who, you know, preferred, you know, who who went with veterans over younger guys. And then kind of when the veterans get traded, it's almost like then he has to play them, and it's. You know, I, I think it created some, you know, animosity. Yeah, and that's a a strong statement. And I remember Gavin Shashini saying that he doesn't know where he stands with the organization. Number one draft pick. And, uh, look, you got to earn your stripes. you got to earn your playing time. But you're right. You know, a guy like that who basically was uh, a taxi squad guy, it doesn't really give them a good feel of, you know, what do I need to do to get an opportunity here. Uh, with respect to the managerial search, it was rather quick, much quicker than – when they hired Terry Collins in 2010, uh, you know, we're going through, I think, a transformation here where a lot of the traditional names that, you know, in the past you would have a Lou Pinello or a Dusty Baker, guys like that, and that's the name that everybody would want. Now, those guys are pretty much putting put into, well, they're past their prime, and let's go with a new, fresh, young face. However, and I know we tweeted about this earlier in the week. If Joe Girardi in that situation had developed before the Mets announced Callaway, I'm curious how that would have thrown. Now, there were reports that the Mets were keeping an eye on that, and I don't know what Girardi's even going to do because I don't know if he wants to manage, but I'm curious how that would have changed things or even delayed things. And I know Callaway was in demand, so that's probably something that that had to be taken into consideration. But... um you know, your thoughts on that, because the Mets are not where they were in 2010. In 2010, they were rebuilding, and a young manager that could grow with them and into the position was probably more desirable, and they went in the opposite direction. Girardi is more of a win-now type of move, and the Mets' window here, I think, is two, three years where they really can win now, and uh, you know, they didn't even get a chance to even look at that scenario. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think it would have been interesting. Um, I don't know if he wants to manage. Um, this year, I could see him taking a year off. Um, I mean, every, you know, as we all know, he's Girardi is a very intense guy. He's wound so tight, and I, you know, sounds like that's uh, part of what happened with the Yankees, where they wanted to move on. And, you know, I think it's interesting, um, but I, I think the Mets made the right move. I think they made the smart move. Um, you know, I'm 
awfully very critical of the Mets, and it's hard not to be with some of the decisions they make uh, over the years. But to me, this was the smart move. The, the Mets' strength is obviously their starting pitching. Their pitching went sideways this year. It was a disaster. If you want to, you know, there was injuries, there was underperformance. And they went out and they got a pitching guru, a guy who pitched the major leagues, a guy who clearly understands what it takes. I mean, look at that Indian staff. They went from uh, one of the worst in baseball to to, to the best almost annually. Uh, so as much as I think Jordan already would have been interested, I think this was a really, really sharp move for the mess. You hire a young, energetic guy who knows pitching. He He's basically got a master's in pitching. The Mets going to win. They're going to be competitive next year. It's because they're going to pitch and he's going to get back to where it was and he's going to fix some of these guys. Uh, or if not fix, he's at least, you know, he's going to get more out of them, whether, whether we're talking Mats, Harvey. You know, I think I think everyone's pretty confident that Grom and Syndergaard will be fine as long as they're healthy next year. Um, we're, we're all talking about Wheeler and, and Mats and, and Harvey and, and Gesselman and, and Lugo, who all have a ton of talent and it's you know, and guys who just didn't quite, uh, although I thought Lugo had a good year last year for the most part, didn't, didn't pitch up to expectations. So I think, you know, you could make the argument for Girardi, but the Mets needed to fix this pitching. And they went out and they got a guy who knows pitching as well as anyone. And to me, that's why this was a good move. Yeah, and I have with me Zach Brasilia of the New York Post at NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Uh, does a ton of college hoops. Uh as well, so check them out, especially with college hoops. Uh, pretty much, uh, pretty much uh, here. Uh, you know the pitching situation. You're 100 percent right, and uh, you know a lot of big name pitching coaches have already gone off the board. It is interesting. The big name pitching coaches, and, and Zach, you and I are pretty much in the same age bracket for the most part. Our former pitchers that when we were watching them when they played weren't great pitchers. Mike Maddox and Callaway and. Uh, and uh, Ray Searage, and even now uh, Jason Bray, who had, was somewhat of a decent pitcher at times. His name has popped up now that he's, I believe he's left the Indians. He was their bullpen coach. I'm wondering where you think the Mets will go, because it doesn't sound like you know guys like Jim Hickey, guys that are, Chris Bozio, uh, that are respected around the game. I wonder if they're going to go a Cleveland route, and maybe not bring everybody from Cleveland, but if they were so successful with their program, why not bring in someone like Jason Bray, who was there? And clearly Callaway, although he's a pitching guru, he's a manager. He's not going to be able to do that job. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, he's obviously not going to be doing a pitching coach's job. I mean, I think it's going to be someone he feels comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I could see Bray. I think that would make perfect sense. Um, but, you know, he's obviously going to have a ton of, you know, to me, to me, it's more to me about his philosophy than, what he actually does with the pitchers, because um, I I I don't think it's any surprise. I the last year or two, I, I really didn't like the Mets' philosophy. To me, they didn't throw inside nearly enough. Uh, you know, a lot. I know there are people who think the the warts and sliders contribute to injuries. I'm not I, I'm not a doctor. I I don't know. I can't say that or yes or no. Uh, but I do know that the Indians threw a lot of curveballs, a lot of cutters, a lot less sliders. Uh, to me. What interests me is the philosophy that Callaway has um, and, and why those Indians guys were so successful. I mean, he worked magic with some guys who, you know, I, I, I was talking to someone who, who, who knows him, a baseball person, and he told me that the Mets' talent in terms of their pitching is far is better than the Indians' talent. And, you know, this is a guy who knows baseball, who's been around the game forever, who thinks the Mets have more talent than the Indians' pitching staff did. Um, at least their starting rotation. And to me, that's, you know, that's what he's volumes if he could, you know. I, like I said, we know he's not he's not going to be a pitching coach here, but to me, you know, he's going to he's gonna have his imprint all over it. He's going to have his philosophy all over it. And to me, that's what, that's what really intrigues me about this because to me, you know, the Mets have these arms, but they, to me, the last few years, the philosophy wasn't great. You know, 2015, everything worked well because everyone was healthy. Everyone was throwing 97. And it, and it worked, but when when maybe those velocities drop a little, and the guys aren't 100, percent you know, and, and your stuff isn't that much better than the opponent, then it goes into you know philosophy, and it goes into how are you working hitters, are you throwing inside enough, and that was one thing I never thought the Mets have done enough of, even going back to 2015, is just is not throwing inside, 
you, you know, you, you live away, away, away. I don't care if you throw 97. Guys are going to hit that, you know. Um, and so I'm really interested to see Cowley's philosophy on, on throwing, on going in on hitters, and just his overall philosophy. That, to me, really uh, interests me. Yeah, I know for a fact Dan Worthen did not believe he didn't want pitchers to get beat inside. I know that for or for a fact. So that's uh, a great point. Your colleague at the New York Post, Joel Sherman, uh, had an interesting take on modern managers, and this falls more into the Yankees, but also the Mets. When you look at what teams are, are looking for, it's not traditional anymore. So you had three managers over the last twenty plus years that the Yankees have had: Buck Showalter, attention to detail guy; Joe Torre a feelings guy, a guy who knew how to, to handle the pulse of the clubhouse, maybe not tactically great. And then you have Joe Girardi, uh, affectionately called the binder, who is more of a, an X's and O's guy. And you want all three of those guys, almost if there was a chemistry experiment, put into one. And we do this with players all the time. The good defensive catcher and the offensive catcher, can you, know, can you find that guy? And you rarely do. Um, it's interesting because I never thought of it that way, uh, that a lot of times managers don't have all three skills. If they're a good communicator, they tend to struggle with some of the other factors. Namely, I mean, in my opinion, the most important X's and O's is the bullpen. Uh, interesting whether or not Callaway falls into it, but I was curious your thoughts because that was a good way I thought that Sherman had put together what a manager, especially in this town, it's necessary for them to, to bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, Joel's, you know, Joel's as good as it gets uh, on baseball anywhere. Um, and, you know, he may, makes really good points about uh, about that. You know, with Callaway, I mean, we don't know. Look, I, I like the move. I think it's a really sharp move. I think it's a smart move. But he could, for all we know, he could be a brutal, terrible manager. We don't know. I just think the thought process behind it is smart, where you go out and you get a, a pitching guru when you know if you're going to get back to contending, it's going to be about your pitching. And your pitching really was brutal last year, whether it was injuries or not. Um, we don't know. You know, all we do, we do know is that he, you know, he worked under Terry Francona, who's, to me, as everyone agrees, is one of the best managers in the sport, who is a guy who kind of combines that X's and O's uh, smarts with um, having a really good feel and, and players love him. So, you know, he, he worked closely with him for, you know, four or five years. Um, to me, that's I, I like that, you know, he. I, I prefer that to some guy who's just worked in the minor leagues, you know, because he, he got, he basically was an understudy for under one of the best managers in the sport. It's going to rub off, especially when you consider how, how, how smart and knowledgeable and much how good of a listener everyone says Callaway is. This obviously stuff rubbed off on it. Francona loves him. You just hear Franco talk about him. He he thinks the world of him. He needs to be a great manager. You know, we don't know what he's going to be, but to me, he he's got he got unbelievable training um, under Francona. He clearly knows the game inside and out. And now we'll see what he has. You never know until these guys actually do it if they're going to be good or not. You know, no, we really don't know. I mean, remember when uh, the Yankees hired Joe Torre? No, he thought Joe Torre was going to be be anything. He had only lost previously. So, you know, it's not an exact science. We really don't know what this guy will be, but I do think the the thinking process behind it was very was very was shrewd. It was the Mets went about this to be the correct way. They probably had their guys they wanted or thought, you know, it sounded like it was Kevin Long and they acted at then they met Callaway and they were blown away and they they realized, you know what, we're gonna contend it's gonna be about our pitching. And let's go hire a guy who knows pitching better than anyone. Absolutely. Last thing. So off season is almost here. The World Series should be over in, in a couple of days, and you know the Mets got, have to make some changes early on. Some names have popped up. Don't know if you have some names you're looking at, but I, you know, R. A. Dickey. I don't know if he's going to retire. I think he'd be an interesting name to bring back to stabilize and provide innings for the pitching staff, like Bartolo Colon did. The more I read about him, I know they have Dom Smith, but Eric Hosmer has a lot of, uh, you know, those it factors from what everyone says that the Mets could use. He's also a good defensive and offensive player. Todd Frazier's name has come up because he impressed everybody with his short time with the Yankees. Where do you, do you have any names or anything you're looking at? With trades, we really don't know. I mean, the Indians are going to have some changes too. Who knows if the Mets looking, because of that relationship, get some opportunity at some Indians players or free agents or what have you. Well, any names you're looking at that you're interested in to see the Mets maybe pursue 
early on as you take an early look at the uh, off season? You know, the guy I've thought about for a while would be uh, Lorenzo Cain. Um, you know, I I know there's a portion of Mets fans who, who still think uh, Juan Lagares could be an everyday player. I, I don't see it. I think Juan is a fourth, fifth outfielder. Uh, he's never healthy. He's never hit. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll go for Cain, uh, but it's clear they need, they, need, they need to make several moves. You know, as much as we've gone, gone over Callaway here, uh, you know, you need players. It's so, you know, I don't care if he's, uh, you know, Casey Stengel or, you know, what have you. The Mets need significant upgrades. They need to bulk up that bullpen. There's no question about it. To me, I think Ramos, uh, Familia, and Blevins is a decent start. I'd like to see Ramos as my seventh inning guy and go out and get a, a Wade Davis or a, a Brandon Morrow. Um, you know, are they going to do one of those things? I, I'd hope so. Um, you know, you pair maybe improved starting pitching with a big-time bullpen, and, and you have something there with your with your pitching staff. Um, I I think the Mets' future at first base is Peter Alonso. Um, I know it's quick. I know it's fast with Dom. I I know people are saying you got to be patient. I just I don't I don't see it. Um, Alonso tore up single A. He tore up double in his brief time there. Um, I don't expect him to go get a first baseman for that reason because they have Dom because they have Peter Alonso you know waiting in the wings where he maybe is only a year or you know maybe a year and a half away. Um, you know it's clear they need to go get a third baseman. Um, I don't think they'll go for Mutsakis. It's probably too much money. I, I think Frazier would be great. Um, I think Frazier would be great for, for Rosario. Uh, he'd be great for the clubhouse. He's a, he's a terrific guy. He's great with the media. They need they need a veteran presence, clearly. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see, do they, do they go look back and sniff, sniff around Jay Bruce? Because we all know Conforto with the shoulder, you know, probably won't be ready for the start of the season. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of possibilities. Um, it sounds like they're okay. They they feel good at catcher with Pilecki and Darno. Um, I've always been a Darno guy. I kind of changed that this year. He's you know even though he had a great finish, I I was impressed by Pilecki late though. He looked like he made some significant changes to the plate. Um, and he's always been a better defensive catcher than Darno. Um, so you know, to me, they go in the year with some at least three, four open spots in the field. Um, you know, it sounds like Cabrera will be back. I'd be okay with him at, at either second or third. But you know what? They need to go out and get at least two position players and obviously add to that rotation and add to that bullpen. So we'll see. They they got money that's off the books. They bet you know, it's a huge year for, for the for ownership here to prove that they wanna win, to prove they're gonna go, you know, go out and spend money. And we're not talking about go bargain bargain basement hunting, you know. If they go out and they do the bare minimum, you're going to see it in ticket sales. They're going to see it. It's going to hurt them where they care, where, where it matters the most to them. No, absolutely. It's a fickle fan base, and they're much more, especially now with television and how easy it is to watch games and get access with the Internet. Uh, to show up to the ballpark, you really got to have a reason. And it's not uh, McDonald's Sundays, I can tell you that. That's, uh, uh, you know, that's that's... That's for sure. So you got a lot of St. John's, Seton Hall, college hoops. What else you got going on over the New York Post? You're kind of a college hoops guy, but they put you in that utility role where we could find you pretty much at City Field or Yankee Stadium or anywhere throughout the year. So what do they got for you next? Um, I'm, I'm headed out to the Jets game today, which uh, should be a beautiful, beautiful weather for uh, a not very oh, good Oh, have team. fun there. Beautiful team, beautiful weather. Although Josh McCown yeah. hasn't done too bad, I got to tell you. No, they're you know. I mean, the funny thing about the Jets is they're they're surpassing expectations, and it's probably not the best thing they could do. You know, they're going to win probably six or seven games, which in the NFL is just is the worst place you can possibly be. It's like NBA um, forty wins in the NBA. It's like eighth seed, ninth seed yeah. in the NBA. Not but but in the same vein, it's it, you know it's hard to knock them. I mean, they're they. Bowles has coached well. They're playing really hard. They, they won. They won games. People didn't think they would win. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a no-win situation for them. You lose, they lose, they get hammered. They win, they get hammered because oh, you're not supposed to win. So it's, you know, it, you, you know, and, and the other thing is you could look at the teams that lose on purpose. Almost look at the Browns. I mean, the Browns right. losing every year has that done anything for them? 
you know. So no, the culture is yeah. bad. And people underrate the culture part, and that's like exactly, the Jets exactly. Jets. I think you've seen a lot of positive things with the Jets, even though they're. I don't think they're. You know, they're not going to win more than six or seven games. So you have seen positive stuff. So you know, I'll be at Jets and uh, you know do a little bit of every, everything. Uh, uh, probably not a ton of NBA because the NBA teams aren't very good. College hoops starts less than two weeks, which we're all uh, pretty pumped up about. Seton uh, Hall is supposed to be a top 20 team. I think St. John's is, is going to at least flirt with the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, probably probably going to pick them to make the NIT, but I do think they, they do have the capabilities to be a tournament team. So it should be a, a good college hoop season. You know, I dabble in some hockey here and there when they need me. So, you know, do a little bit of uh, do a little bit of everything, a lot of football uh, so far. I'll be at Giants this week for that mess of the one and sixteen, which obviously that season has has gone kinda of like the Mets season, honestly. You know, high expectations and you know, and nothing to back it up. Yeah. And believe it or not, they'll be the ones to get the top quarterback and transition from Eli to a, a stud quarterback well, and the Jets have been waiting what, twenty five years for one? So it is funny how it works. But you know what? It's yeah. the good organization and their Giants are Giants are a good organization. They're one of the best organizations in football. It always seems to work out for the good organization, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, uh, be well. Get ready for your game out there at the Meadowlands. And uh, thank you for spending a, a generous amount of time with us. I'll talk to you soon, Zach. All righty? All right, Mike. Have a good day. All right. Bye. Zach Brazilier of the New York Post at NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Check him out on Twitter. And uh, some interesting stuff. I'm going to take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, I'll wrap up, have a couple of thoughts on things that Zach brought up there in the piece, and uh, we'll wrap up, and we'll be back right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, final thoughts. Uh, good stuff from Zach Brazilier of the New York Post. Was a little surprised for him to bring up Lorenzo Cain there, and I just wanted to do a couple of quick things here. Uh, it's an interesting name because I've thought about it as well, Lorenzo Cain, and, and you know, Juan Lagares has always been, and I think it's an interesting way to look at the Mets offseason because if the Mets are going to upgrade the offense, you have to think, okay, where are they going to get an impact bat? They go third base route with maybe a Todd Frazier, who I think that's an interesting name, and I wonder what the Yankees are going to do there. First base with a Hosmer, but he's right. You have Peter Alonzo, who a lot of Mets fans, well, if they go to MetsMorizedOnline.com, they're probably aware of it, and we've talked about Peter Alonzo, 22-year-old first baseman, uh, who had a great year in St. Louis. He had a, had a good year, a brief cup of coffee in Binghamton. Um, you know, a hitter, you know, not necessarily the the, the double-A the Eastern League is not necessarily an offensive league. Uh, and even when he was in Brooklyn, Alonzo put up some good numbers and five home runs and 123 at-bats in Brooklyn. And the New York Penn League isn't bad either. But he's a guy with power. And he's a guy that fits into what people like to consider millennial baseball power. I know that you know maybe defensively he's not really there. And I do think first base defense is a bit underrated. You know, The Mets' second-round pick here in 2016, he's out of the University of Florida. Uh, he's not that far off if he's 22 years old. And, uh, you know, I would expect to see him at some point in Vegas unless they have find a way to get to Syracuse earlier. And I'm sure he'll put up big numbers in the Pacific Coast League for what it's worth. But that guy is somebody that is, uh, you know, on the way. And I don't know what he's going to be. And knowing that the Mets are contenders now and have to win now, that's where maybe you go with a Hosmer. And, and Hosmer that I think could change the culture or help change the culture along with a guy. You go out and you're able to get a Todd Frazier and Eric Hosmer on the corners. Uh, you know, that to me, from the kind of players they are, 
and the kind of people that they have been, and I haven't met them, but have been reported to be. They had power, some pretty good defense to this team. I think it makes a big difference. But, you know, at that same time, knowing that you have Conforto and Cespedes in the corners, that probably precludes you from bringing Mac or, or bringing uh, Jay Bruce back. Uh, and if you go with a Lorenzo Cain, you're, you're kind of now saying that you're giving up on Juan Lagares or that Juan Lagares is a backup. And with the kind of money that Lagares is scheduled to make, remember, Lagares is scheduled to make, now that his contract has, uh, you know, he's had two more years on the contract, and he was a value when they bought out his arbitration years. Uh, you know, he's scheduled to make $6.5 million next year, $9 million in 2019. Those are starter numbers, you know, and especially the 2019 numbers. So can you, with the right offensive additions on the infield, put Lagares, maybe spell him occasionally offensively against tough varieties with Brandon Nimmo, who I don't believe, I think he's more of a, a corner outfielder, not a center fielder. Well, in 2014, when he had his, his, probably his best year as a Met in 2014, if you go to 2014, he, um, let me bring up his numbers here. Uh, you know, he won the gold glove. He hit 280 with uh, four home runs, 47 RBIs, 13 stolen bases. He was a little bit above league average offensively, and he was worth about four wins if you look at advanced metrics on fan graphs. Lorenzo Cain, throughout his career, he's a guy who's probably going to get you 15 home runs. Uh, you know, he's defensively, from what the metrics indicate, he's right there with Lagares. Now, Lorenzo Cain... Um, if you look at the uh, positional situation, Lorenzo Cain also plays a little corner, mainly center field, but he's also putting some time in right. Uh, he's put some time in left. And, uh, you know, when you look at his numbers in sort of center fielder, he's up there defensively, at least from a metric standpoint. Not quite in Lagares' neighborhood, but not too far off. Uh, and Cain is going to cost you some money, and, and Lorenzo Cain, uh, you know, is entering, you know, his late prime uh, in this contract. So you want to be careful. So it's not a bad idea by Zach. Certainly something with risk. And I think if you build the offense around Lagares in center, I think you need to make sure you're really strong, and you are strong in left and right if Comforto and Cespedes are healthy. I think you want to make sure you know what you're getting at the corners. And I think Hosmer and Frazier, I think, come at the kind of price that, that would be palatable for the Mets. And that's why I think that's the way I would go bringing in some kind of stabilizer and innings guy to the rotation. I keep bringing up Ari Dickey's name. You know, maybe he's not available, but a player like that, like what Cologne did. And then you spend some big money on the bullpen. And uh, you got to hope that what you got there is, is enough. And away you go at that point. You know, you, you got to go with, and like Zach said, a lot of experts in the game feel the Mets pitching. The talent is there. The Mets had an historic decline. And it even came out, you know, during on Twitter by Mark Carrig that bad the clubhouse was. And I said, you know, there was a report that one veteran said it was the worst clubhouse they were in, and there's a lot of components to that. And they're going to have to figure out why that was the case and who was responsible. Certainly the manager and the pitching coach and the coaching staff are part of that. And, you know, that's interesting because they were considering Kevin Long, the hitting coach, as their next manager, and he was their part of it. So bringing in the right guys, the right personalities – with the talent that's there, a talent that has already been to the World Series. Uh, to me, it's, it's not like they have to go out and overhaul the entire roster. It's about making the right moves. There's probably three to four really key moves they need to make um, in bringing in those kind of players, those grinders, those guys who have a little bit more balance to their game offensively, defensively. And uh, you know, then I don't mind having Juan Lagares in center field. Because similar to when Ray Ardonias was a shortstop, and I've used this comparison a lot, maybe it's corny, because they're different positions, but Ordonez was the fabric of those late 90s teams defensively. And you could survive with his bat because you had, especially in the 99 club, you had so much offense around him that you didn't mind him batting eighth. And he actually, in 1999, didn't have a bad year offensively as a member of the Mets. Uh, real quick, Ray Ordonez in 1999... Uh, he uh, wound up having his, you know, this is a bad offensive player uh, as a starter because he had, you know, he was a part-time player with Tampa in 2003 and with the Cubs in 2004. But he had probably the most RBIs and his highest batting average that year. You know, his OPS plus 
wasn't anything special. I mean, he was a significantly below league average hitter, especially for the steroid era. But you could survive with that, and you were okay with that. And, and that, to me, is, is kind of where Lagares falls into. Lagares is actually a better hitter. Um, so you certainly could bring in a Lorenzo Cain, spend that money, but I think that you're not going to be able to address everything that you need. And I'm not quite sure Lorenzo Cain in center is enough of, enough of an offensive upgrade to the team. He's certainly upgrade over Lagares. And defensively, I'm not sure that it's enough of a, a, a comparison. Even though he's solid, I think Lagares is better. I mean, if Lagares is a starter in 2014, can replicate that kind of defense and be a four-win player for this New York Mets team, that's pretty solid, pretty valuable, with a better offense than probably what you would get out of that 2014 team. So, so that's something interesting uh, regardless. And, you know, Zach is right. One last point here before we wrap up. Zach is right. The Mets have a big offseason. This is a fickle town. There's a lot of entertainment options. There's a lot of ways to consume baseball with the Internet and MLBAM. Um, you need to make sure there's a reason for fans to go to the ballpark. And you could do all the McDonald's family Sundays and bobblehead giveaways and all the stuff that you do to get fans in on a Saturday night or a Sunday to beef up the attendance. A winning ball club, a fun ball club, a club that goes out there and you feel could compete and win every day, even if they don't, is the only way to do it. And you could try to skin the cat. You could try to find ways to uh, get around it during rebuilding years. The fans have seen the rebuilding years. This was not what this was supposed to be in 2018, especially after a World Series appearance. They were supposed to be in the contention mode. Whether that means a 95-win team or an 88-win team that's just getting into the playoffs, that's, that's secondary because anything could happen. It should be about a team that is built to contend and win, and that's what the philosophy is. And if they don't, they're not going to show up. And don't be surprised earlier in the year if the fans wait to see how this team performs before they start showing up. So you might have some empty stadiums in, in April. We've seen that happen before. So anyway, I want to thank Zach Brasilia for joining me today on this Sunday. Check him out at the New York Post at NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E on Twitter. Zach does good stuff there. Of course, I want to thank all the great folks at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Stay dry. It's rainy out there, and uh, I'll be back next week. Take care.